Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Entry Level Left Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Jared. I'm Nathan. And we have a exclusive Patreon bonus episode for you today. First thing we wanted to talk about was taking a listener question. This comes from uh, Patreon subscriber David. Um, and they asked us uh, essentially about harm reduction. But to uh, just phrase their question, they said... I wanted to know what your thoughts on Angela Davis and Chomsky talking about voting for Biden as harm reduction. Yeah, so the question is essentially, do we agree with what Chomsky and Angela are saying about how voting for Biden is a form of harm reduction and we should do it? Okay, so my thing is, you know, since I've been on the left, the first person to even get me into like leftist politics was Chomsky. Yeah. And I appreciate that. However, he has been saying this exact kind of shit for as long as I have been paying attention to what he has to say. And I've never really seen any material difference come out of it. Um, He said, you know, if we don't vote for Obama and Romney gets elected, then, you know, World War Three is going to start. If we don't ensure that hillary clinton gets elected even though she's terrible and horrible and blah 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 then world war three is going to happen and it's like even before that you know the same thing was with the mccain obama blah blah and it's just like one that kind of shit doesn't really have any like way on me anymore because in the instance of you know trump and biden or trump and clinton it's like the aesthetics are different and there are some slight like differences between the like grotesqueness of the system. But as as a whole, like really the only thing that's changed is everything that was so fucked up about this country is now like on full display. Yeah. So to get to the point of the question, my answer, and I'm sure we'll come back to each of us talking about this in more detail, but my short answer is uh, no, I don't believe in the harm reduction shit um i'm not voting that's just yeah that's just how i feel you know i don't care anymore i've completely given up on all institutional politics in the sense that i'm never voting for a democrat again i said multiple times on the pod that bernie sanders is the last democrat i ever vote for bernie sanders isn't in the race anymore so i'm just not i don't give a shit yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. But people, you know, people should understand Jared and I both canvassed and knocked hundreds of doors yeah, for Bernie. Yeah. Like to say that we don't care about politics in, in this right, sense, like in more liberal sense, I don't think that's that's correct. But, yeah, I'm with you on on just being tired of voting for these Democrats that end up just sheepdogging people. Right. And um, I kind of posted something from Bernie in Jess the other day, basically how Bernie after creating one of the largest progressive movements in American political history, essentially just gives all of his power up and gives it away to Biden and the establishment Democrats. And then he posts something like, let's get out and get the work done and blah, blah, blah. Like, let's vote, you know, let's vote for Kamala and Biden now, Mm -hmm. you know? And I just think it's, it's just, it, to me, it feels like a slap in the face. You know, and I don't want to focus on Bernie for this particular response to this question, but I kind of want to just reference some of the memes that we've actually posted on the page from time to time. Maybe y'all are familiar with that sort of cartoon meme where it's like two Middle Eastern or Middle Eastern diaspora type people um, saying, oh, I'm so glad that the drone being sent is by a Democrat now this time. Like, I'm so glad that we're being bombed by a Democrat now. Um, and, and what that really highlights is, is the latent imperialism underneath the whole system, uh, the whole U.S. electoral politics system. Um, regardless of whether you have Trump in there or you have Biden in there, the status quo is still imperialism. You know what I mean? So to me, there's maybe some harm reduction at like the local level if you're voting for local like representatives but on this world stage or this national stage, I have trouble feeling like this sheepdogging, this media spectacle that we're amid. It's just too. It's just too ridiculous to me to to put stock in that this concept that Biden and Kamala are now these liberal progressive saviors. When if you look at their records, you look at the memes that we post on our Facebook page and. You know how we go into depth. Some of these memes go into depth. Like one, one we just recently posted 
has all this information about Kamala and her history and what she's done and why she's really not a progressive, you know, candidate. Um, so I'll say on the national level, I don't think voting is harm reduction. I think it's just it's a mass spectacle to get us to capitulate repeatedly into this system that is really not given us anything materially. If you look back, even o- Obama, he had two terms. What did we get materially out of that? The ACA, maybe, which was essentially just a, a, a way for the government to subsidize people paying private cor- like corporate insurance companies for really shit- shitty coverage. Mm-hmm. And it was like a state-mandated, almost kind of like what we were talking about with like uh, liberal communism in Mark Fisher's book, mm-hmm. like this systematizing of privatization mm-hmm. through the government's consent, through mm-hmm. the liberal like right-wing economic government. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I have trouble personally feeling like a Biden Kamala ticket is any semblance of harm reduction over Trump because I know at the core from my studies and from my understanding as a leftist that really this country runs on imperialism. And, you know, like I said with the meme reference, you know, oh, I guess great. We should be happy that a, a Democrat is dropping bombs on us now, I guess. I mean, that's my take on it at least. Yeah. Well, um, obviously I feel a little bit different. So I don't I don't know if I subscribe exactly to like the harm reduction model all the time, right? But here's my my issue is that like of course I agree, you know, Kamala's not a progressive. She's used that mantle, you know, shamelessly, mm-hmm. yeah. even though it's not true. Um in same for Biden, you know, they talk about he's the most progressive, you know, campaign in, in the general election history and yada yada yada, but it's still not impressive. Like we obviously know what we want and that's nowhere near it. The only thing I worry about is that if we do have a Trump election, does it get us any farther from being able to use the system at all? I mean, if you've abandoned the system and you just think like at this point, we might as well just accelerate ourselves into communism, hopefully, or whatever mm-hmm. system comes next, you know, socialism or barbarism. Yeah. But if you if you haven't abandoned the system, then I think like you really do have to at least get out and vote in some way for the people who are going to make a difference at the local level, at the state level. Like, for example, you know, you have all these goons like Joe Arpaio and stuff like that in Arizona who are coming on the news. They're like, they're the standard typical like right wing goon who comes on and they're how they're tough on crime and this and that. Mm -hmm. And you have DAs in areas that don't prosecute cops who just blatantly kill black people and stuff. And a lot of these stuff are election based or there are people who are appointed by people who are elected and stuff like that. And so there is a little bit of like a trickle down effect sometimes when you have the wrong people in office, Mm -hmm. you know, and that goes for both sides. You know, a lot of times Democrats will appoint people who be in office, you know, 20 years later, you know, off an appointment and they just never found somebody to replace them. So there's like this sort of lasting effect. And obviously the, the, the biggest one in this case in relation to the presidential debate or the presidential election, of course, would be, you know, what's going to happen to Ruth, uh, Ruth's spot on the Supreme Court, right? right? right. Ruth's not going to make it. And so, you know, we already are at a disadvantage on the Supreme Court. How far does that go? You know, there is a part of me that's like, well, screw it. The system's going to collapse. Like, you know, let them be absolute ghouls and just see what happens. Because at this point, it feels like there's no saving it. But then there is that part of me that's like, you know, if if we keep working, you know, is that that gradualism? I know it's sometimes like a fantasy, but is there is there a version of reality where we do work towards at least a system that is more more advantageous for the left. Right. So what I mean by that, like specifically, because I know I'm kind of starting to drag on a little bit, specifically is something like, you know, getting rid of first past the post voting, right? Again, this this requires that you buy into the system. So if you don't, this won't be a convincing argument. But if it's something, for example, like getting rid of first past the post, who's going to do that? It's definitely not going to be Republicans. But can Democrats be swayed? You know, in general, can Democrats, Democrats be swayed on reforming the election to make it more representative you know and then at that point maybe we can get the public will maybe we can sort of start working towards these democratic reforms yeah well the way that i see it is kind of like and we've talked about this before but the media and the corporate the corporations are so lockstep with the politicians and the political program and the way that i see reality is they're doing everything that they can to kind of like make people forget in a sense. And we talked about this concept a little bit, but like just how quick media cycles happen in this country and how quick Americans are to forget things. 
I just don't know that like the system is ultimately something that we can rely on to get us the gains that we realistically need. And there is a fear, even if we're talking about working within the system, if Joe Biden does get elected, there is that just sort of back to normal status yeah. that we're going to achieve. You know, half the population is just going to be like, oh, yeah, this is back to normal. Yeah. Uh, the other half of the population is going to just try to vote a Republican in next time, you know, right. and well, then there'll yeah. be that will be that minority who's still like, no, things aren't 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 OK. Please, please change it. Please change it. You know, and like, I don't know. Yeah, it does make you feel like you're just going to be crazy again for the next yeah. 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for shit to change. I mean, yeah. And that's part of where, you know, I start to get at least in the near term because I don't want to, like, try and predict the future because the left is historically terrible at doing that. But this is the part that kind of gets me seriously blackpilled because I think that if there was a time for real change to happen within the system, it was after 2008 and that completely failed. So where I feel like we're at now is pretty much at a state of collapse. Like, I think that's what's happening. I think ultimately, like, the opportunity for a serious change structurally to happen with the system has passed and I think now that this this era, this American project is dying, and I also think that the... I mean, I think it's been dying for a while, but I think that there was an opportune moment to kind of, like, do something different and that, that passed and failed. And then on top of that, you know, I also feel that, you know, Matt, you said, oh, well, the, the corporations are lock and step with the politicians, and I think that that's true to some degree, but I also feel like the system itself has gone completely off the rails. I don't know that anyone has control over it anymore. There's like where everything is headed and, and how poorly, like if you take the COVID crisis, like sure there are countries that are doing certain things like better than other countries, but also for the most part, it's all pretty fucking bad everywhere because no one really has the capacity or the infrastructure to really plan their way out of this because they're not abiding by anything other than the laws of this Capitalism. this beast yeah. of this beast this thing that is is no longer even tradition in the traditional sense as like you know marx and engels understood it a, a traditional capitalist system it's like almost beyond it's like neoliberalism. It's like neo-neoliberalism. It's like a Frankenstein amalgamation. Completely, of, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say, like, you know, back to this point about harm reduction, we glossed over the concept, but it's like, it's never clear how less harm is actually calculated mm-hmm. in terms of whether it's within the system, without the, with outside of the system. It's never really clear. Like, do we compare how many millions of undocumented indigenous peoples have been deported? Do we add up like what political party conducted these things Mm -hmm. like pipelines, military budgets? How do these things factor into like the harm reduction? And I think where I'm at, and I think in general where I feel like all of us are at, um, maybe aside from Nathan is like, you know, we've been, we've been dealing with this system for so long that really only recognizes the drives of capital. And while, it is sort of this Frankenstein monster that isn't that isn't conceptually clear a, as it was in like Marx's day. I think we just have to accept, you know, that there are two opposing forces in the world. There's capital and then there's labor. And so the most clear through lines and the most clear th- trends that we can really analyze are just how capital and the logic of capital influences behavior on the political and media spectrum. And more often than not, these drives are like we've talked about all throughout our show, like um, drive wages lower and lower, um, increase corporate profits. You know, that's the, the logic of it all. And, you know, people are starting to come out of, you know, uh, this Trumpian era with a new understanding of, the government actually doesn't care about human life. It, it's more concerned about appearances, optics, aesthetics, and preserving the dominance of a very elite, very small class of whether they be donors, lobbyists, corporate um, CEOs, whatever. Like I think that we're at this point where we need to recognize that that is the the totalizing narrative. Like wh- whether it's uh, you know, harm reduction or not, capital is a force that 
crunches everything up. Like Nathan mentioned on our, even our second episode, like this is a machine. It's a monstrous machine. Then you don't do anything. You can't reform it. You've got to smash it to bits. Mm -hmm. I think is what Nathan said in our like opening of our second episode. I think that might've been some, me quoting somebody. Yeah. You were, (laughs) you were quoting somebody. I don't think I'm that, that polemic. (laughs) Yeah. But it was absolutely true. Like it's, it's a murder machine. You don't, reform it you smash it to bits Mm -hmm. that's where i'm at with it right yeah i mean to push back a little bit on that jared you say like well maybe we're on the edge of collapse but what i worry about is like does that mean the left is going to rise even if we do collapse like does that mean necessarily that like oh the people who will take power will be leftist that's for sure Mm -mm. well that's why and then i worry about like what is the what is the capacity for capitalism to repair itself like even in a makeshift way like what if there is a new neoliberalism that sounds you know like an oxymoron neo neo neoliberalism yeah. but but you know what is that what is that next step like we talked about in the episode with mark fisher you know is there like a version where it's like children of men where there's like an authoritarian capitalism where like yeah market's free but the rest of everything isn't free you know right. what i mean yeah, like, this is fine like, yeah. as long as capitalism keeps going then we'll, we'll be okay like i worry about that like is it going to reinvent itself if we let the sort of like Trumpian perspective win. I don't mean to be like an alarmist, but I just mean if we go down that road, is that where we're heading? You know, is there a, a potential for that yeah. in the future? And then Matt, you had said like, how do we even measure harm reduction? And you know, I understand why it's like it's it's like picking you know it's like the fucking South Park meme, like the douche and the turd sandwich, or right, 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 right. the fuck it is, or whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? It's like it's a stupid choice, but also sometimes it can be a legitimate one. Like for example, when you have Trump out there, like slowly dismantling the post office or right. you know making the consumer um financial protection bureau is that how you say that yeah 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 is is starting to work against its own stated interest yeah, yeah. at yeah. this point or you know the EPA is being dismantled or again you have you know all these judges being picked and stuff like that you know you do wonder like is is there going to be a measurable level i don't know like it's hard yeah. to measure but it doesn't mean that there isn't a measurable level what i ultimately want to know is like how do we how do we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not also in Biden's class interest to keep the EPA gutted? Like, yeah, this is the way that I want our listeners to think about these problems. Like these are not individual or isolated incidents. These are class mm-hmm. issues. Well, that's what's, that's the thing though, is that's what typically happens. Like since the Clinton era, the new democratic party basically like allows the Republican party to gut everything. And then they just keep it operating exactly as the Republicans left. Yeah. it. They don't add anything to it really. I mean, they mm-hmm. might do certain things here and there. Like I remember, you know, in, uh, with the EPA, like Obama, like bought up a bunch of, you know, land or whatever with mm-hmm. the intent to not have it drilled, but it's like it was such a small fucking right, right. piece of land compared to and all of it was turned overdone overturned by the Republicans again, in in no time. Like, you know? Again relating to Mark Fisher, it's like one of those highly visible objectives. Right. You know? It's like something very small that we, we know that we can tackle. And then right. when we do we go, Oh yes, triumph. We are a right. great nation, you know? Right. Yeah. The ACA is a lot like that when I think about it. It's like well, what was the ACA going to ACA going to do? Was it going to get everybody good insurance? No, it got a lot more people in insurance. You know, look mm-hmm. at, look at the, how many millions of people right. got insurance, and that's all you hear about the successes right. of the ACA. And let, you know what I mean? Is yeah, it better outcomes? I don't know. It's have you ever seen those numbers? I've never seen those. The numbers. only yeah. people it really like had some kind of an impact on. I know this because of my my mom. Was the two best things that came out of the ACA was they cannot deny you because of a pre-existing condition right. that is what really like saved the lives of a shit ton of people and like kudos to them for doing that it was long overdue the only other thing was the fact that like because you had so many people buying into private insurance people who had medical issues that relied on private insurance their insurance costs annually went down slightly but that was like you know, like for instance, for my family, it went from being like twelve grand a year because my mom was a type one diabetic to ten grand a year. You know what I mean? Like, it's a difference, but it's like we're still paying ten grand right, a year right. out of pocket for health insurance, and on top of all the copays and whatever other shit we got to do. That's just for the insurance. That's not if she has to use it. Yeah, yeah. And really, the only again, the only other thing was they can't deny you of a pre-existing condition. Which now that that's been implemented, 
there aren't even like Republican people who were against the ACA who are really willing to walk that one back because of how popular it was. Yeah. But, you know, the point you were making, though, Nathan, in regards to the whole harm reduction thing is, you know, you're saying, well, just be if it collapses, like, will the left come to power? And it's like, no, definitely not. I mean, number one, after the Bernie Sanders campaign was finished, where is the left now? Super fractured. Gone. I mean, when Bernie Sanders was running for president, it was like every single person, even even if they were fucking edgy and shitheads about it and being all like, oh, well, actually, Bernie's blah, blah. You know, they still <laughs> they still would like, we would all, all of us were kind of like, look, he's not perfect, but we got this guy and we're going to fucking do this motherfucker. Yeah. As soon as he went away, all of that collapsed. And it's it's right back to the Twitter sphere and total in, insane chaos. It's kind of funny because like, I feel like the left almost like they don't know what to do without like this great man of history to get behind. Behind, you well, know what I mean? It's it's not so much that. I think it's it's hard to diagnose because there's so many things. Like another example is the George Floyd thing happens. There's all these insane protests. Like we're all sitting here like, damn, this is about to be 1917, you know, or some shit like that. And then, you know, then some time went on and we were like, no, if anything, this is more like a 1905 mo- moment, you know, the, the coming before the storm. And then now it's like, well, oh, I see what this is. Well, now what happens is when we walk into Zoomies, we see $45 George Floyd <laughs> Black Lives Matter t-shirts yeah. uh, or Defend Black Lives t-shirts, but like nothing's yeah. actually going to change. And the left can't get organized to change anything because when it's not shooting its own self in the foot or eating itself from the inside, they themselves us like i speak of them as like you know they're distant from me but we are also a part of this game and you're constantly oversaturated with so much shit constantly that you have no fucking idea what is real and not real and that's why the whole thing i've been saying about like taking time off social media and really only like yeah you know the only reason i get on there if i get on there it's like not even to post anything. It's like to handle something for my band or whatever. And that's because like none of what you see on that shit is real. It literally isn't like the thing, the interactions you're witnessing between people would never happen in real life, whether it's nasty shit, nice shit. And, you know, I, I sometimes not to get super conspiracy brain, but it's like, I've seen seven, eight, 10 different people at one time all get into the same shit on you know, like at the same time. And at the same time that I see that happening, I start seeing ads marketed to me for that shit, you know, (laughs) like a hobby or something. And I'm like, this could very well be happening with politics too. You know what I mean? Like where there's this just giant recirculation and like marketing where you don't really know if anything that you're engaged with or you're having thoughts about or whatever is like your own or if it's being like, yeah, you know, there's definitely like a, a cautionary tale to be learned about like the left Twitter bubble, bottle, <laughs> the left Twitter bubble, right? Because no. you know when you look at it, it's like it felt even going into the Bernie Sanders campaign. And there's many podcasts who are out bragging about how Bernie won and stuff like that, including this one, you know, right, right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like there's there's a certain level that you have to be sort of just ignoring the common man. Yeah, like it's hard to believe, but there actually are quote-unquote centrist democrats somewhere out there i don't know they're elusive right 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 but they they exist somewhere you in know the suburbs and somewhere. apparently they have a pretty pretty popular movement going on right. that just is silently out there in the wings just you know consistently voting for do nothing democrats you know right. and that's the part that I you write like you know we're not just going to win medicare for all because we got democrats elected it's not going to yeah. happen or or you know other policies that we might like like the green new deal or things like that or free college for all and shit like that but I do think there is something to be said about like us sort of winning a certain amount of of power mm-hmm. but when it comes to you know the squad just got reelected you know right. yeah. easily every single one of them and so it's not a caucus quite yet but we can see the point where maybe in the next few elections if we do push maybe we will have a 10 to 15 person caucus you know mm-hmm. maybe we will have an you know twice as many progressive senators you know mm-hmm. actually progressive senators yeah. you know what i mean like maybe you will have at least someone in there sneaking in policies but again that requires that you'd have to you know believe in the system which I, 
it's hard for me to convince people like, yes, you should put all your faith in this one thing. Right, right. You know what I mean? But at the same time, if it just means showing up to vote real quick and just forgetting about it, hell, you don't even have to tell your friends, you know? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> then, I, I don't know, it's it's hard to argue against doing, in, in, at least in, in my opinion. In your opinion, yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah, I can understand. I would just, you know, with that said, obviously this this topic itself is not a gray or it's not a black and white issue. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of gray area. And I would agree, you know, with Nathan, at the state and local level, you, you probably should be involved. Mm-hmm. If you care about politics and you care about progressive values and change, like you probably should stay involved. On the national level, I'm not super convinced. I'm not either. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not super convinced that there is any real harm reduction there. I feel that. No, but, you know, um, before we got together today, you know, and started recording, we did get supremely Joker-fied um, because I have not seen the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I mean, I have now, but I hadn't seen it. Yeah, we so, literally just watched yeah, it. Yeah, so you guys <laughs> you guys were like, well, you got to watch this, blah, blah, And which is weird that I haven't seen it because I do, I love movies, but I... I feel like when it first came out, it's like all, especially being a leftist, that's all anyone was fucking talking yeah. about. So I kind of like, you know. It was weird, yeah. It, Even when it first came out, there was also like a lot of, probably right before it came out, there was a lot of like reactionary type people oh, yeah, out yeah, there yeah. that were like excited. Like, yes, right. we're going to have a We Live in a Society, the movie right, made. Right. It's going to be so great. And like, right. it was a little bit like that, but I think it was a lot different than what they were yeah. painting it to be. I mean, well, one thing that I find interesting about that movie, having just seen it, that it it ties into this discussion we were just saying about like, you, you know how you were saying, okay, well, if it collapses, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the left's coming back. And it's like, I just think of how, and this whole harm reduction thing is it's like, I've always felt, you know, especially, and that's why I love the Christopher Nolan, like Batman movies, even though like that Joker gets memed so much. But like the reason I enjoy those movies is because to me, that's the first like solid depiction of where you're getting this idea that the Batman is maybe not the good guy. Yeah. But it's like there he kind of is, but there's elements that aren't. And it's almost like, you know, this Joker movie highlights it because it's like, you know, the Wayne family is like these rich philanthropic billionaires, blah, blah, blah. Their whole point is they want to keep Gotham City like exactly the same, you know, and then in, insert the Joker, insert some character. They're they're like almost trying to start the, re, the reset yeah. button. And it's like that's kind of where, you know, it's interesting because you watch that Joker movie and I was thinking about, it, I was like, you know, at first I was thinking, I was like, yeah, that's what the fuck we need. We need like a reset button. You know what I mean? Like we need yeah. some kind of like burn this whole fucking thing down. But then I was thinking about it and watching the Joker and thinking about what you just said, Nathan, or what you have, you were talking about with not necessarily the left is going to take power is like, you see that they, they're, you know, killing the rich people and they're taking over Gotham city. But, it's very clear there's no direction. It's yeah. like they're mad as fuck, but there is no collective sort of like we understand why and we know what to do to get out of this. Like the Joker himself, like he says, little consciousness. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Political. not political. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's like I'm just. I want to see the world burn, kind of thing. It, and, it's like a really weird dramatic irony that only we know that he's doing it for no reason. Everybody else has like attached this certain meaning to it. Right. You know what I mean. It both both on the the sort of pro Joker right. and the anti Joker side, you know, right. the the rich people are like cowering in fear, like they're just doing it because they're jealous. Like yeah. right, Mr. Right. Wayne literally says that, and part of it is that right. he killed these guys because he was envious of them right. working at Wayne Enterprises or whatever. Yeah, and then how many of our listeners have ever dealt with like a libertarian or somebody that has said <laughs> that kind of shit about like right. less fortunate? And the funny things about it is like I think there's like this meta ironic sentiment to the movie, especially in the scene when the Joker comes on uh, to Murray's show and he's talking about, well, what if one of you passed me on the street while I was dying? You would just walk right over me because I'm of no social importance. Right. You know what I mean? And then. There's this this back and forth between Murray and the Joker where Murray says, well, I got to tell you for a fact that not everybody is awful. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. And to me, there was a sort of meta irony there because mm-hmm. you're talking about like uh, what is essentially like a neoliberalization of society through capitalism, mm-hmm. getting people to think in terms of like individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the irony there for me is just like, the Joker is saying, well, you know, it's not individualized because you would literally walk over me mm-hmm. because I am, 
in, in by virtue of like whether it's my appearance or some signaling about who I am, I am of the lower class. Yeah. Right. And there is no there is no way around to that. And I think that's what's so like meta ironic about the whole movie. Yeah, I mean the the in the narrative they even demonstrate that. I mean, in the beginning, he gets his ass kicked by some kids openly yeah, right, on the street, right. and then you know his boss doesn't even believe him. You know what I mean? They're just right. completely like, yeah, whatever. Like you fuck the job up. Like we got to get back to business. You know what I mean? This is your last straw. Back back. You know, back to back to work. You know, it's right, just right. like yeah. so blase. Like about the whole the whole thing. You know, he actually even if you think about it, he says, "I love that scene" because he actually says, "Why would some kids do that? Why would they steal your sign?" Yeah, and then he asks back. Why would I take the sign? Right, and he goes, right. I don't know why people do things. Right, they right. just do them. And it's like, right. so he literally right. believed a stranger right. over the Joker. Because you know of a I mean? business relationship. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's where the point of that's this right. movie is dripping with like capital, like capitalist culture. Yeah. I right. mean, he gets taken on the Murray show. It's a capitalist enterprise. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. He plays the clip because it's good. And then he brings him on the show because the ratings right. were great it, for that yeah. episode. It's you a know, viral it's, it's, moment. But in that, the end, they only used him as a prop to make fun of him. And right. that is the pure fucking irony. That is the common man. Like we talked about in our, our capitalist realism episode, that is the proletarian being dropped in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and right. obviously we don't want to get too like meta and grandiose about the comparisons here, but like, I think these are important things that people need to pull from this movie, like an understanding, like a meta understanding of like all of these things. And maybe that's not the way I'm, I mean, at least I'm assuming that's not the way that the director intended these things to be to be viewed. But that in another sense is like what's so meta about the realism element of capitalism to mm -hmm. me. Like it's so it's so default. It's it's right. thought of as the understood where you have a person saying Oh, but why would I take the sign? Like, why would I steal that? Like, why would I take that? Right. And then, of course, the boss is going to believe the person who they're in a business relationship with over their employee. You know right, what I mean? Right. That in and of itself highlights just the absurdity of right. capitalism and how it just it 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 makes us inhuman. It makes us uh, dehumanize not only ourselves but the world around us. Right. One thing I noticed in there was like this quote shows up twice. And it's never said really out loud, I don't think, but it's in his journal in both the beginning of the movie and actually right before he goes to shoot him. And it says, I hope my death makes more sense than my life, but it's written as sense as in like money. Yeah. money yeah. And I, at first you, like, when I watched it, I just was like, oh, it's because he's, you know, he's supposed to be kind of like a little bit not Dumb, smart, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he misspelled it. But if you think about it, it's a really good indication of like, <laughs> of like, of almost like him saying like I'm gonna go out and it's it's literally gonna be like a sensational valuable, you know what yeah. I mean I, yeah. hope, I hope my death is is more valuable than the you know anti productive right. sort of life that I've lived but, yeah. but see you know? that that right there is where the movie to me like that kind of stuff is kind of where the movie diverges a bit from what you're talking about the whole capitalist thing because realistically it's like I don't really think this was made by the director as an explicitly anti-capitalist yeah, yeah. film I think that I mean it's obviously it's a giant Hollywood production Joaquin Phoenix is a starring role but I feel like that kind of stuff and him on the Murray show the like climax of the film is like the whole point is him just saying like I misunderstood you don't understand me I have problems blah blah and you know, that's kind of the narrative they go for. That's also why I think the Joker, because that's how the Joker always is. And I feel yeah. like that's why he resonates so much with these like right wing incel online libertarian types mm -hmm. is because they're like, oh, well, I'm misunderstood and I'm <laughs> weird and fucking whatever. So ha -ha, I'm the Joker, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but it's like, you know, and he's and he's cool or he at least he's, he seems, you know, cooler than them. But like the underpinnings of all of that, though, is it's like, the individualized nature is him as I'm misunderstood. But when he is talking about, if you saw me, you'd walk all over me. Yeah. And him being like, well, not all people are Awful, bad. Yeah. You know, it's individual, but you kind of see this like mass of people at the end who all have the clown mass where then it's no longer about the individual because it's clearly a shared sense of reality, reality for other people. For other people right. Yeah. Based and uh, one could say it's, realism. Yeah, build. one could say it's it's a form of class consciousness. Yeah, <laughs> and like I mean, the setting of the movie, even even the opening scene, which is if if you have 
the ability to watch that with subtitles, I recommend it because right. it's very low in the beginning. I think you even told me to t- turn the volume yeah, up because yeah. you thought it was actually <laughs> supposed to be like low, an important yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, the radio, even in the beginning, it's the very first thing you hear in the movie is them essentially describing the strike that's going on mm-hmm. with a garbage uh uh, I guess it's the garbage bin strike, yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. that's yeah. going on. And, you know, you can even immediately hear people sort of like reacting to this. People are like, yeah, the, not only is the garbage not being picked up, but there's garbage in the street, you know, talking about the people specifically. Right, 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 right. And people were saying like, oh, they should send the National Guard in to clean up. So you get this like, even before the characters have any sort of development, you already have this sort of like weird dystopian neoliberal like setting that's set for you, you know, before right. the even characters are developed. Yeah. And then of course, in the background, you see all these newspapers throughout that are like, is this, is this a movement to kill the rich? You right, know, like right. the, the, the open question that they're asking and everybody on, on like the TV is sort of openly joking about it. You know, I think Murray twice in the movie even jokes about these strikes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Making light of them. He even says, Oh, you know, it's crazy out there. It's good to have the Joker in, you know, just cause or uh, to have Arthur in, you know, by this point going as the Joker, because, you know, we all need a laugh. You know what I mean? He's just so willing to throw away the entire context and yeah. just be like, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we all need a laugh. You know, I, I'll poke fun at, at it, but I'm not going to, I don't want anybody to come on and be political. You literally even make sure like, hey, Joker, so you're coming on with the makeup, right? But it's not because you believe in the makeup stuff, yeah. right? And he's like, no. And he's like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know what I mean? But what right, if he did? Right, 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 right. What if he, so it's very strange. It's like, this is allowed for entertainment, but this isn't allowed to, to be a message. Right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? Another thing too, like I, I I loved was like, even in the theater, you know, for example, there's all these like rich people who are like consuming culture. They're watching like old Charlie Chaplin films mm-hmm. while outside there's these like giant protests. Well, I, I think that's like so, that, that has to show that the director is at least somewhat aware or right. feeling some sort of like class divide. Well, and know? not only that, they're watching, they're at this nice high-end theater that has all these bodyguards and shit making sure no one gets in. And they're watching Charlie Chaplin, but all the all of the movie theaters everywhere else, all the normal ass regular people movie theaters, it's literally like it's all pornography. Yeah, you said it was like porn. It's all I didn't even recognize that. All of the films that are being shown, it's like yeah. like one of them was called like Ace in the Hole, and it's like a chick with her like ass up in the air, <laughs> and there was like a bunch of them, but it was like it was a major theater or like a major theater like well normal theater for us and it's just all porn titles but then they're you know protected by all their cops and shit and their nice attire watching yeah you know high class classy yeah classy shit yeah while chaos is happening outside you know they just ignore it yeah I, i think like another sort of comparison that i see with this movie is it's very related to like, for example, the taxi driver. It's like a oh, very yeah. similar plot where someone's sort of like driven to mad to madness. And there's a sort of like really wide context of, of like the, the hopelessness of living mm-hmm. in like urban city, you know, in this case is Gotham, but in, in taxi driver, it's New York, right. but there's a scene that seems almost completely ripped out of taxi driver with just some sort of very minute changes where He's sitting in his living room when he'd just gotten this gun and he's playing right. with it and he's sort of like pointing it around and he has his own dialogue and it's very close to sort of like the Travis Bickle quote when right, he right. says the famous line, the like, are you talking to me or right, whatever? Right. You know what I mean? And I, I, you know, it's not lost on me that isn't he in that fucking movie? Isn't Robert De Niro, yeah. Ro- Robert, yeah, literally is, is Robert him. De Niro. Yeah, so yeah. there seems to be sort of a reference in this to like that, that same type of narrative, right? Yeah. And what I think is really interesting, and maybe this is just me looking too far into it, is that in this movie, instead of looking like a badass and pointing at this whatever and shooting the TV or where the fuck he does in the actual taxi driver, he drops the gun, like awkwardly right, bumbles right. it and just like shoots the wall right. and then is like embarrassed about it and is right. like, it. what what it really speaks to me is that like this Joker is so much more incidental, right. whereas like the Jokers and other versions are like, they're exploring chaos because they want to, because they just want to see what would happen. But this one isn't. He's subjected to literally. This. Up, it's these circumstances yeah. that make him. I who think that he makes is. him seem more real to well, me. Yeah, because yeah. literally yeah. up until the very end, nothing is planned. Like yeah. everything that happens to him is a fuck up. It's a he had he's in the wrong place, at the wrong time, that kind of shit. And until the end of or the build up to the climax at the end of the film like that's the only thing that he really like i mean he's, he's subjected to the system i mean he gets adopted by a lady yeah. who shouldn't have had him sadly right. you know i'm right. glad she had the heart there right. but in the end you know he was abused because of who his mother was right spoiler you know, alert <laughs> oh i mean yeah, this yeah, yeah, no, i know i'm just this. fucking with yeah. you <laughs> um 
But, you know, not only has, has he sort of had this childhood and that's caused who he is, but on top of that, the mitigating force to this was the medicine that he got. It was the the one social worker who barely gave a fuck. This right. was the last, the very last straw was this yeah. social worker who he even comments on like, she you don't sa- care. Yeah, she, well, you know and I mean? she says, she's like, they don't give a fuck about you and they don't give a fuck about me. And so right. this is the last straw and this gets removed and the entire events of the movie, not the entire, but almost half the movie happens because of this, because he stops getting his medication, because he stops getting any semblance of, of, uh, you know, attention at all, you right, know, like, right. me- like treatment attention. And that's like, that's to me, that's why there has to be some sort of awareness. Right. And he has to be commenting a little bit on the sort oh, of he like is. austerity he policies. Is. Yeah, you he know? is. I think the, a lot of it is a comment on this concept that we talked about to, a while ago with uh, Mark Fisher and Capitalist Realism, this interpassivity. Like I, you know, since reading that book, I have seen this concept everywhere in movies, like this interpassivity, like, and this I think is a great, great, great example of that, like how it's performing the anti-capitalist capitalist yes. sentiment for us. Yep. Like this movie is clearly recognizing our anger and our resentment and the class divide, but it, what is it really doing for us? Nothing. It's just we're passive about it. We're being subsumed by the spectacle. And I think if I could just get big brained here for a second (laughs) to tie this back to harm reduction, I think this is why systemically there is no harm reduction at the national level. If you really look at the machinery of like electoral system, like it's built to subsume and constantly allow capital to like re invent itself to to appeal to us in new ways like that's the way i see this system as in lockstep with capital right and um the final sentiment here is like i we talked about the interpassivity but there's also like a lot of like conceptual privatization of stress with this when he's talking to the the social worker Mm. when she says well i don't like I can only give a fuck about you to the extent that the state yeah. allows me to give a fuck right. about you. You know what I mean? And that to me was just the icing on the cake for right. the take my takeaway from this sh- this movie. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's how a lot of people too. It's like I I really, you know, feel some some shit with that social worker because I think that's how a lot of public employees especially under the system feels. It's like you know, or are made to feel. Yeah, because it's like you think about like what you want to do and what you know needs to get done, but like we can only do what the state allows us to do. And yeah, you know, it's not a lot. <laughs> she might be literally the only somewhat good character in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? She might be the only person who's she's not a, a villain. A neutral character. Yeah, she's, barely, she's not even that good. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. I think like one other sort of feeling I get from it, of course, is like the obviously the feeling of like this existential dread. And one thing I think that I, I don't think it's a coincidence, but there's those famous stairs in Brooklyn that come up in the movie yeah, and they yeah. come up three times. I counted this time watching it. And you know, the first time he goes up, he's just sort of like normal, whatever, like just living day to day life. You know, the second time he's like completely sad, almost broken. And then the third time he revisits is sort of the time where the cops are chasing him. And that's the time when he dances down the stairs and he's like loving this. And it makes me think a lot of like, um, Camus' analysis of Sisyphus, like the myth of Sisyphus, oh, yeah, yeah. where in the end, the punishment is that he has to walk up the hill every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And Camus asks, well, if he keeps doing it, then he has to be happy, right? Why else does he keep doing the same yeah. task every single day? And there's a motif of suicide in the movie, which oh, yeah. that is what Camus is saying is, is, why does Sisyphus just not kill himself? Mm. You know, and I think that's that motif with the, you know, the love interest, the imagined love interest is of yeah. course, you know, she, they keep making this joke about like holding their finger gun to the head and pulling the trigger, you know? So it's like always like, and even when he gets the gun, he points out himself several times throughout the movie. And there's this sort of like, is there an exit? You know, it seems to be right, like right. that existential question of like, I could just exit it right now. You know, this is, this is the mm-hmm. way out, you know? And yeah. I think like in the end it's, it's sort of ironic and it goes with the overall sort of last scene as well is that, once he's finally happy, once he's finally just gleefully coming down the stairs, it's because he's gone absolutely fucking, fucking insane. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. now that he's doing what he wants to do, now nobody wants him around. Now all of a sudden everybody notices him. Now all of a sudden the cops are like, no, 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 you've, you know, now that you're coping a little too, a little too well here. You know what I mean? Right. And, the, and he says it even when he's talking to Murray, he's like, you guys decide what's right or wrong. Obviously we can all agree the murder is 
not good. So we right, probably right. agree with the cops in this case. But at the same time, it is interesting from this this perspective of like finally when he's become his own man, now the system's there to stop him. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. Like once he's finally coped with having to push the boulder up the hill, you know, now it's like, no, he's, we have to no, we have to put an end to this happiness thing that you got going on. He's a threat to them then. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you guys argue that the people he killed on the train that was at, like t- at least two of those murders were like justified in self-defense yeah yeah like the third one he definitely like didn't need to kill that yeah. guy but like i i For personally sure. felt like the first two murders were self-defense yeah and that's what's kind of sad too is is like you kind of wonder like i mean that woman saw what was happening right and all these other bystanders gave a description so how did people like you know i don't know you yeah. I guess you got a question, like, why did they just jump to the idea? It goes back to this really uncharitable view that everybody has of Arthur the entire movie. Even when they don't know who he is, they just assume, like, uh, you must have done something wrong to deserve it, whether it's the sign or, you know, shooting people. You know, it's like nobody yeah. could even imagine it was self-defense. These great gentlemen must have been on there, right. you know, after work one day, you know, right. blowing off some steam and some just envious low life just shot right, them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, after that motherfucker was, like, throwing fries at this woman who was just yeah. like trying to read a book like right they're just being drunk idiots yeah. yeah but yeah so with that said um obviously you know the joker movie's been out for a while but um if you're like jared and waited so long <laughs> to watch it definitely go watch <laughs> yeah. it um and see what you think about it but we wanted to give our uh especially our patreon listeners just kind of like a and uh look into kind of what we've been planning for the future um, so with that said, some of the topics on the horizon include um, some projects that we're getting together with other people, other leftists to work on um, an episode about energy democracy, which is something we are planning to talk about in the future. Jared, you met someone when you were uh, within the DSA, yeah. uh, working with the DSA. Yeah, we're going to have hopefully someone come on and talk about <clears throat> Uh, basically national liberation in Puerto Rico and what that means. And uh, this individual has actually been involved very heavily with their national liberation movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not looking so much for statehood, but for actual Puerto Rican independence. So I think that'll be a good one to have yeah, on for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, those are a couple of the episodes that we're planning to do in the not so far off future. Um on the main, and as far as like main series episodes go, uh, we do we did want to do an episode where we're tackling like academia, right, and like liberal academia culture. So um, we found this meme actually that we thought was pretty hilarious, and and we'll probably do more of these like jokes when we do that particular episode. But we we found this thing that says, uh, "You are presenting at a graduate conference in the humanities. What is the vague title of your paper?" And so your first initial dictates like the first uh, word of the title of the paper. Last initial is the second. And then and month then, you were born. Yeah, birthday month is um, the final portion of that. So we're going to just go through like everybody's going to list theirs. And we're going to kind of a little uh, we're going to kind of use it as an opportunity to segue into, you know, giving you guys a little bit of understanding about how just absurd liberal academia has become, but um, I'll go ahead and start. So the vague title of my uh, graduate conference uh, paper will be um, Performing uh, Historical Categories as Violence. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about, man? That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's just about performing historical categories as violence. (laughs) I'm sure there's a little bit about colonialism and... uh, conflict theory post-colonialism yeah. my guy gotta mention edward saeed at least three times right yeah no i'm um what am i oh i'm redefining spaces as violence um and as someone who was a geography major and did go to a geography academic conference i can confirm that that would definitely be a fucking title <laughs> at that conference if you go back for your phd you should just like make it a goal right position yourself to write well that actually paper. actually we have when we do the academic one the or the episode on the academic left i have some killer titles that i have and by killer i mean fucking hilarious titles that i have pulled <laughs> from the aag's website from the year that i went to the conference so yeah i'm, I'm really excited because we're going to talk a lot about yeah. A lot of our, our uh, gut feelings, both from oh, experiences yeah. that we've had and also from, of course, things we've read online. Right, so. right. 
Yay. Uh, my paper was, of course, uh, nice and absurd. The legibility of erasure as a form of erasure. Nice. <laughs> That's a really good one. That's a good Damn. one. Damn. Talk about being redundant there. <laughs> cancel the canceler. Yeah. But no, I mean, obviously, this is hilarious because uh, it's, you know, poking some fun at, you know, you called it liberal academia, Matt. It's yeah. like, I mean, obviously, we view it as liberal because even when it's considered radical, but it's really radical academia. Like, those are the people who predominantly do that kind of shit. Like, someone like David Harvey, who is like, uh, you know, written all this shit on Marx and like him, all his students, all his predecessors are like the minority in in that realm. The yeah. people who dominate, you know, the academic left, so to speak, are very much like, you know, redefining spaces as violence type people. It's very like extremely abstract and it has to do with a lot of academic careerism and hair splitting over nonsense in order to you know get tenure and yeah, make a advance your career like careerist basic basically careerist bullshit right, right and you know the only we'll talk about this more on that episode the only way you get published is by writing one of those papers and you got to look up at the journal you're trying to get published in you got to make sure you cite material from the people who review the journal because yeah. they want to get citations too it's total it's it's completely incestuous and stupid and it's a lot of the reason why twitter and the left today is the way that they are in terms of total fucking absurdity yeah so can't wait to break that down and we'll probably make up a bunch of other like paper names like queering hegel or oh whatever. no we won't <laughs> even make them up we're pulling real I think we fucking do, like, papers i think we should do like tr- two truths and a lie where like oh, one paper we yes. should, is made yes. up and yeah. then and then like two of them but each aren't. one of us has to do it each yeah. one of us has to find yeah. two, yeah, two truths and a lie yeah. okay yeah stay so tuned. stay tuned <laughs> yeah. for that episode and uh until next time thanks for listening to the entry level left and have a great day peace Thank you.